0: And we are live uh, welcome everyone in the rubber band community whether you are joining us today on LinkedIn live whether you're joining us directly in the Rubberband Facebook forum or if you're for the first time watching us live on YouTube welcome to today's Rubberband band live um, and a huge big welcome to Gemma Chantel and Russell our expert panel that are joining us today thank you so much for um, volunteering your time this afternoon. So on that note, and three of them, I just I just described them as three of the most beautiful people inside and out. So you'll you'll come to come to learn that if you don't already know that today, audience out there. Um, so really, what what we'll do to start with, I'll I'll get each of you to introduce yourself and have a little bit of a chat about um, you know the organisations that that you represent, the company that you um, you're all. Uh, self-employed which is really exciting so we'll go around the room Gemma tell us a little bit about Workplace Edit and yourself (laughs) thank you
1: so much I'm really excited to learn from um, this conversation as much as I am to contribute Um, I'm Gemma Saunders I'm the founder of Workplace Edit Um, I work and play on the beautiful um, lands of the Waterung people um, and would like to just acknowledge and pay my respects to elders past present and emerging before we kick in to the conversation today Um, and yeah my business is all about editing the workplace so that we don't have to ask people to edit themselves Um, so looking at workplace practices and how we can change them to be more inclusive and equitable by design so that people aren't having to squeeze themselves into molds um, that were you know essentially designed without them in mind so that's the work that I do and um, yeah I'm a proud queer woman um, and I live here with my wife and kids on beautiful water run country so yeah thanks for having me.
0: Wonderful. And if um, uh, after today, people to reach out to you, is that oh, you're on LinkedIn? Uh, yep. What's your web address, website?
1: I love this. Getting all the handles and everything in early. Um, yeah, Yesterday. my web, the search workplace edit, and um, on LinkedIn, all over LinkedIn. So that's probably the best channel. Um, follow, connect, um, let's have a chat.
0: Wonderful. Um, and Russell, the unrivaled agency, t- tell us all about yourself and, and what you do.
2: Uh yeah hi 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 everyone um, hi, hi yeah so hi hi so yeah I'm I'm Russell I'm, uh, I'm I'm just a recruiter I'm not as impressive as everyone else on this call by any means but look I'm I think um I've, I've got twenty years or almost twenty years experience in, in recruitment both both inside um it's like in house and um agency so I'm um, working across talent acquisition and, and and HR um really here today to kind of learn myself but also give the I guess perspective of um. You know, I think the difficulties when it comes to paid transparency, I'm all for it, absolutely. You know, I think we're just saying pre-show that it's been a long time coming, but I think there's some real kind of, um, you know, hurdles that people are going to have to um, jump over before it can become become real. So, um, yeah, you know, I run my own recruitment agency now uh, called Unrivaled Agency. Um, You can find us at weareunrivaled.com. Yeah, so thanks for having me.
0: No, thank you for joining us. And twenty years experience in our industry—that in itself is incredibly impressive. So don't undersell yourself, Russell.
2: <laughs> almost, almost twenty years. I'm not quite that old. Almost twenty years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and my friend Chantel, thank you so much for for joining us today. T- tell us a little bit about um, yourself and um, and and your business as well.
3: Thank you, Eden. It's so lovely to join you for this conversation. As soon as you asked me, I thought. Gosh, I can't wait to get my teeth stuck into that convo, it's a really meaty subject. So I'm Chantal Weatherall. I live and work and play on the beautiful land of uh, the Jadjaran people in central Victoria. Um, I am a writer, a consultant and a leader and uh, whatever hat I'm wearing, I'm always spending my time thinking about how I can cultivate sustainable communities So I bring different tools to bear depending on what role I'm playing and what problem we're trying to fix. And in this context, I'm sort of drawing on uh, almost 20 years, Russell,
0: (laughs) of um,
3: (laughs) HR experience um, and a really strong background of about 15 years working in REM and in reward. And I always like to describe myself to my friends who had absolutely no idea what Remo Reward was, as the person who's responsible for the win win in the employment relationship. And I really like thinking of that. I like thinking of mutuality and creating win win because I think there's more of that available than we know. And that if you haven't spotted a win win yet, it's because you haven't thought hard enough or been smart enough about it. So if anyone wants to contact me, they can just uh, email me at hey, <laughs> very formal, <laughs> at
0: <Chantelle laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Chantelle. Uh, well, look, today's title, um, Future Proof Your Practice. Are you ready for full transparency? So I think let's, let's start by going around the room and, and sort of talking about, you know, what is the context in Australia? What does this actually mean? Um... Why are we having this conversation and why are we having it now? Gemma, what are your thoughts?
1: I uh, There's a few things to consider, I think, in terms of the state of play at the moment. I think from the conversations I've been having, we know that a couple of months ago that there was um, an amendment to the Workplace Gender Equality Act put forward, which was around pay transparency. So I think for anyone listening, um, you know, you've, you've got the message particularly from... Um, the you know the, the from you know a parliamentary perspective that this is coming that we are making changes um, and that is from a gender pay perspective. And what that will mean in terms of the implications will be that around 40 percent of the workforce, their employers will be required to report on gender gaps on pay gaps. And so, you know, if you're not already reporting on um, on pay gaps in your organization, that is likely to come. So there's some yeah. changes that are coming from a legislative perspective that you should be aware of. I want to just also acknowledge that um, reporting on pay gaps isn't full pay transparency. And hopefully we'll get into that conversation today. That is, yeah. uh, I think it can be a really important motivator for organizations, but it is still sort of a lag data point in many ways it shows that um, you know this is where we're at now and that there is a gap and also i think a couple of things to consider is that the language we use in australia isn't um, isn't always clear we talk about equal pay and gender pay gaps almost interchangeably and Mm. it has been illegal to um, pay people Um, a different amount for the same work um, in this country. It has been illegal for that practice to happen, but that still Mm. does happen. And I think there's confusion in terms of what we mean by like-for-like work and Mm. like-for-like roles and what is the gender pay gap, which is the org-wide gap between what men are paid and what women are paid in the organisation. So I still think there's a little bit of catch-up in terms of the language we use around pay transparency, transparency equal pay, gender pay gaps. And on top of that, we're still not as sophisticated as other organisations when it comes to intersectional pay gaps. So um, yeah. how do we how do we sort of understand the pay gaps when it comes to people with disabilities in our organisation? Um, and so there are some broader, we talk about gender, but we're also a little bit confused in the language we use. And then also there is an opportunity to go beyond just looking at gender, which is important. Um, but isn't binary and isn't sort of the, the whole picture. So I would, mm. I would sort of point to those things. The only other thing that I would add is that um, when, when we think about candidate experience, and Russell might touch on this, candidates um, from a SEEK perspective, 73% of candidates find it frustrating when the salary isn't advertised on the job. So there's mm. almost a barrier. We're putting up a frustration by not providing that to candidates. And one in three candidates say that they are less likely to apply for a job. And what I often hear is that there's a pipeline issue and that, you know, women aren't applying for jobs or we can't get, you know, diverse talent through the pipelines. But in a way, we sort of put up our own barriers um, by not sharing information around remuneration in the recruitment phase. So there are a few things that I think help paint the picture. Um, mm. and hopefully something to consider for any listeners today around the language we use the context and also the
0: barriers thanks Gemma. yeah absolutely and and Russell there is a, that, that is quite a good segue to you because I mean what I'm noticing um, not only in you know the rubber band community but on LinkedIn from a lot of recruiters not just in Australia but but globally that this is a conversation that seems to be happening at the moment um, you know what is, is it from a candidate perspective? Is it from a recruiter perspective? What, why are people talking about advertising salary on roles at the moment? Why do you think this has become so topical?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, if you spend as much time on LinkedIn as I do, you'll see posts every day, you know, put, put the salary on the job advert, put the salary on a job advert. Yeah. And um, <laughs> look, yeah, you know, why not? We should be because um, we don't work for nothing, do we? It's, it's probably the most important thing. Look, we all work for money. So it's important before we invest time, and effort and um, emotional energy applying to a job um, they could be all worthless because it's not paying what we're, you know, what we need to live or what we think, you know, what we want to, to, to earn. So I think, you know, I'm all for having salary on a on a job advert and we're, we're definitely going that way, aren't we? Like the US, most states now, um, is, is legislation that they have to put it on there. I mean, they're having even problems with companies just putting, you know, 10,000 to 110,000 um, So there's, there's some people trying to kind of, you know, not doing the right thing, not, you know, not, not playing by the, you know, in the spirit of the game, I guess you could say. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, um, yeah, no, I think it's definitely going that way. And I think it won't be long until we, we have to put um, salaries on job adverts. And I think that's a, that's a good move. Now, I think that, that there are potential barriers and issues to this because, um, you know, I don't, I don't think a lot of companies or, Anyway, a lot of companies that I, you know, have worked for um, or, or work with, and that's kind of that retail fashion in e-commerce space. I think, and a lot of, a lot of other companies will, will be the same. I think the barriers they face is that there's going to be people in, inside these businesses getting paid different amounts for, for this, let's let's call it the same job. So let's call it, you know, kind of an e-commerce manager. So if it's a large company, there could be two or three e-commerce managers or buyers or finance managers, and they're not necessarily being paid the same. Now, this isn't down. This isn't because that you know people want to other people over or or, um you know doing it for the wrong reasons it just so happens when you know somebody might have been in that business for for five years and they haven't had much of a pay increase each year somebody might have just been recruited externally from a competitor they might have had to overpay for that person to get them into the business because their competitor paid more than them so there's lots of different reasons why there could be three people sitting on the same salary within this organization so this Causes mm. issues for this organisation now. So if if they then start to advertise a position, saying right, we're looking for a finance manager, salary one thirty to one seventy, and there's somebody sitting there thinking, wait a minute, I'm getting paid you know one two five, I'm getting paid one forty even one fifty, and thinking why aren't I at that you know the the, the upper echelons of, of um you know of this pay banding? And it's going to start probably at the, the businesses might view it as these uncomfortable conversations where you know they shouldn't be uncomfortable. they should just be open and honest conversations. So I think there's a lot of pre work to do. Um, you know, I think companies have mm. got a lot to do before this becomes reality. They've got to start really planning out, you know, what are the pay bandings for, for each position? And most companies will have this, but not just the pay bandings. Actually, what justifies and quantifies where each person sits in this pay banding? Is it just experience? Is it is it time and role or time in that, you know, time in that type of position? Is it attached to, say, a nine box grid, you know, based on performance? Or, you know, do they have a mixture of both of those or is it just you know uh, experience in the role and then there's bonuses attached to, to performance rather than just basic salary so i think there's a lot for, for companies to kind of consider and i think a lot of companies are gonna are gonna find it hard to to get up to speed when when this happens um but look mm-hmm. it's, it's all it's all positive you know it's all it's all for a good good reason <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And Russell, there are so many things that you've just covered off there that I want to jump dive into. I thought you just took it off too far, didn't I? Sorry, because is, <laughs> I, I think what you've really highlighted is the complexity there. But I think one of the things that I find interesting, just before I um, I asked the same question to Chantel, is we're not necessarily going from ground zero. I mean, there are industries that do have pay transparency you know I've I've worked in higher education and it was incredibly transparent it was on every job ad and you even knew what the you know people as they were developing within the organization and you know if they had been there for a number of years you would know what even what those increases were going to look like every year so you know I think you know there are some sectors that have historically had pay transparency um, where this isn't going to be an issue for. They're not going to have the complexity when this becomes a reality because they're already doing it. So it is a little that adds even more complexity, I suppose, because it is a little bit of a mixed bag in terms of industry sectors and what it looks like in different areas. Um, Chantelle, you know, we, we kind of um, workshopped this title together in terms of, you know, future-proof your practice. Are you ready for full transparency? What what does this mean to you? Why, why do you think this is important? And, and what is the, the kind of context for this in Australia from your perspective?
3: Thanks, Eden. Such good points from Gemma and Russell there. So from my perspective, as somebody with a pretty deep uh, technical REM background, Um, I am a very practical soul, as you know, having worked with me, (laughs) and so this sort of topic of equity gets me really fired up from a values point of view, Mm. but um, I like the way that you phrase the title, because um, we aren't getting stuck on should we do this or not. Mm. Um, I think you can uh, shoot yourself to death, right? Um, my focus instead as a practitioner is on uh, what's going on, why it's happening and how we get up to speed because that's what I've spent 20 years doing for organisations, not kind of umming and ahring and wringing our hands about why, you know, what, what do we have to do this, but just going, we've sussed it, the trends are going in this direction, the prevailing values of the community are moving in this direction, how do we keep up And that's the sort of um, conversation and work as a practitioner that excites me. Mm. And I think it's what gets all of us out of bed in the morning, right? It's where you can have a real impact. I know that I would never want to consider myself a minimum compliance practitioner. That's not what I target. I don't want to work with minimum compliance partners or clients, Mm. and I don't want to work For a minimum compliance organisation and I don't think that I'm unique in that and so I think this is a hot topic in our sector because our sector is overwhelmingly made up of a bunch of people who care a heck of a lot about doing a good job and care a heck of a lot about creating a positive experience of work where they can and they're seeing a fantastic opportunity to do that in this space so there's heaps going on in Australia as Gemma mentioned we've had some legislative changes here Um, that comes hot off the heels of our gender pay gap increasing in the last six months significantly taking us over that 14 percent why is that relevant well it's relevant because we've had wajia reporting for organizations over 100 for years now and the reality is Um, At ANU, we're really lucky that we have the Global Institute for Women's Leadership, and they have come out this year and said that progress on gender equity is not just tough, but we're actually going backwards in places, and so that is the case in Australia, and our government is taking action, as we've seen, by um, asking companies to air their dirty laundry in some cases and go public with their gender pay gaps. Why have they done that? Well, because we know that even if fifty percent of businesses do gender pay analysis and find something wrong, only forty uh, percent of them actually take follow-up actions and do anything about it.
0: Mm. So we
3: we have had years as a sector, and this is a moment for us to take some accountability, right? So government have tried to partner with us and work with us. Um, And we have had years of being given data to work with privately in-house and take our own proactive actions. And there are organisations who are doing a really fantastic job of that. And I'd like to call out all of my other HR colleagues, whatever your specialism, who I know are in there fighting the good fight every day, whether they're getting traction or not. But what we're seeing is that Industry is not regulating itself well enough. And when you don't regulate yourself well enough on an issue that is of key priority for all of society and for government, what you're doing is you're inviting government to step in and go, well, we'll take the reins on that one. Sorry, you've not done it well enough yourself. And that is the position that we find ourselves in in Australia with I think the first warning shot across the bow. From government to say, the situation is not good enough. You are not regulating yourselves well enough. We are willing and going to act. And then we're looking out at the world. And we can get into this more in a second. And our peers in Europe and in the US are taking much more far reaching action. And in some cases, those territories have less of a gender pay gap than us. And they're taking much more forceful action than we are. So I think that you would be wise, even if you're not as passionate about it as we obviously are, um, you would be wise to see the way the prevailing winds are going. And think of this not as something to be worried about, but as an awesome opportunity to be ahead of the curve.
0: 100%. Uh, thank you so much, Antil, and, and thank you to all to all three of you. I think I've, I agree with everything that's that's been covered off, and likewise, I'm incredibly passionate about this. So th- th- this is wonderful. Now, I know everyone who is joining today is also very passionate um, a, a about this topic. So please, any questions that you have um, for Gemma, Chantelle, and Russell, just pop them into the box. We we all have access and can can view your comments. Um, if you'd like to remain anonymous, just pop that in as well and we won't call out your name. Um, but look, I, I think what, what I've got from that is, the tr- we're trending in that direction. Okay. And we're trending in the direction of, full, of of pay transparency for, for a positive reason. There is, there is something backing it up, but you know, I, I want to just cover off the why, um, and go around the room in terms of why we aren't already there now. What, why can't we just flick the switch, um, and say, Hey, this needs to happen. Um, why are we in a position today where that is not the reality and, and why do we actually need to prioritize how we do this? So, Gemma, what what do you think? What why don't companies advertise salary, and why do companies keep that remuneration data quite um, quite tightly held? What, why are we in this current situation?
1: I think that there's a discomfort with some of the reality around what has prompted the decisions that we've made so Russell highlighted some of the realities before you know you're in all of a sudden you're in the talent type market you're willing to offer something different in terms of a salary in order to get that person across the line next thing you've got someone who's internal you can see their current salary you think oh well we won't pay them the same as market because you know maybe that's too much of a jump and you've got these sort of ...informal decision-making practices that sometimes are part of a more formal um, practice, right? And what that leads to is some unintended inequities, if we're going to be kind um, about it, and say that it's not based on us deliberately saying we want a 20% pay gap, but it's us Mm -hmm. saying in the moment that we're in, with the short-term thinking that we've got, and these priorities... We're going to make a decision with that context in mind and we're not thinking about the unintended consequences or the inequities that that creates we're working within the context of right now and what we need and i think that the the roll-up of that is that we have to have some hard conversations with ourselves and say you know things like who, who benefits the most from the current ways of working Mm. And, you know, I love what Chantal was saying before around the win-win and the, uh, you know, how, we, how do we think about that from a mutual perspective? Who benefits most from our current pay practices and who loses out? And I think some of these questions around the beneficiaries, if we think about even in Australia, the, you know, the average CEO in Australia is paid 132 times higher than the average salary. That from a listed yeah, company perspective, right? Yeah. Now, most of us can see that because in the annual reports, we can see what a CEO is paid, particularly yeah. from listed businesses. Um, and we might be able to see that the in the enterprise agreements that the sort of the average core center person is paid X, Y, or Z. We don't necessarily see anything sort of in the middle of, of organizations. And so there's an uncomfortability, I think, with who are the current beneficiaries of our pay secrecy practices (laughs) or Mm. lack of transparency. I mean, we don't label what we have right now, but I mean, I would label it as pay secrecy Mm. if we want to call it that. And who's benefiting most from that? And it's uncomfortable to say that when we look at some of the data from the US where they have got those intersectional reports, you know, a a Latino woman has to work twice as as much to make up the same as a white man. Is it? You know, it's a 57%... So she has to work two years to almost get one year's worth of salary. So that's uncomfortable to know. But when we know better, we, we can do better if we're mm. willing to. And I think as Chantelle put it earlier, you know, if we don't govern ourselves, then it, it will come. And that that um that was a really, really great point around self-governance. It's we've not yeah. jumped, we've not um so. It was a long-winded way of saying let's ask ourselves who are the current beneficiaries of our practices and how do we actually take it take a step further and get through those uncomfortable conversations and say if we know what it is we can at least close those gaps
0: yeah for sure jim and um, russell from a recruit from a recruiter perspective um and you know you work with and and have uh, as you said 20 years <laughs> you're almost <laughs> 20 <years> with, almost. <laughs> with a variety of different organizations and why do you think it is that you know that you know advertising the REM is 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 a challenge for those organizations? Why why isn't it as simple as telling the recruiter, hey, this is exactly what it's going to pay? Go to market with this. I don't want to see anyone above, I don't want to see anyone under, I want to see candidates, and this is the transparent expectation for this particular role. What why is it not that simple?
2: Um, yeah, well, firstly I just want to touch on the point. Um I love the term, uh, you know, salary secrecy, and that's exactly what it is at the moment. And I think just, um, you know, what Gemma said about looking at it at the view of, you know, who's gaining from all of this, and it, you know, it's, it's definitely not your, your kind of average Joe or Jane or whoever working there uh, working in middle management, is it? Um, do you know what? I was, it, it got me thinking in my first in my first job in, in recruitment agency back in uh, December two thousand and four when I started. It was um it was actually a sackable offence to talk about your basic salary. You were yep. not allowed to talk about your salary, you'd be sacked, and he's in your contract yep. as well to so say you would be sacked if you talked about your salary. Crazy, isn't it? Um, but yeah, look, to come to your question, I think, um, look, I, look some, some companies do advertise salary, don't they? And I think one of the benefits um, of working agency side is that you can advertise salary yeah. because obviously when you're advertising a role you, you, you normally not put you, you're not putting your client's name on there normally um so you couldn't kind of you know you make it not a generic ad you make it specific but you're not naming the company and you can put the banding on there so i, I you know I'm, i always make sure i put the bandings on yeah. there now i think the difficulties companies face when they're advertising a role so like you know what there's a company advertising the role that the recruiter in that business will know exactly the banding that they want to pay. You know, they know that this role, you know, the budget we've got for this role is between 110 and 130, let's say. So they're going to know that budget. But the issue is going, you know, going externally with that budget is there may be people within that business that are on, you know, this spectrum of 110 to 130. And in most companies that I'm talking through my experience, you know, I've I've worked in, like I said, before retail, fashion, e-commerce, head offices. Most companies, in my experience, have not got a set. You know, people are not paid according to ability, necessarily. Yeah. You know, you'll have people on this spectrum for various reasons. Like we said before, you know, they might have just they might have been promoted within the business. Generally, people promoted promoted within the same business are paid less than people that recruit externally. Now, that's my anecdotal. Um, mm. view on that but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's accurate if there were stats around it. So there's people sitting on here. So you could get somebody sitting on the lower end who is actually one of your top performers. Then if they see you advertising for the same role that they're doing and it's up to 130, they're going to get a little bit disgruntled. It's going to start a different conversation. I'm not saying these things are right. I'm just saying this this is these the are potential reasons yeah. why, but yeah, the reality why these things aren't happening. Also, I think going back to this pay secrecy, I, I, I always thought it was an English thing, but we're kind of you know you, you brought up not, you you brought up not to ask people what they're paid. Even your friends, you don't ask your friends what salary they earn. I mean, yeah, sometimes you do, but it's frowned upon. You know, it's not done. You don't do it. You don't ask your friends or family what what they earn. Um, and you're kind of brought up with this mentality through through your work environment as well. It's kind of I don't know where it comes from it probably comes with signing contracts and you'll be sat till you talk about your salary. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's a funny one, but yeah, look, look, there's lots of different reasons like, like that, where it's just, it opens up a can of worms. I think that's the best way I can describe it within businesses. So yeah, you know, I'm not saying it's right. Um, You know, this, you know, this lack of transparency, Um, I look forward to the day where it can be more transparent, but there's a lot of work to do within companies to how they then kind of I guess fairly and openly dictate where people sit on this salary band, you know on, on this scale within positions you know I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see how that
0: how that kind of works and pans out oh 100 100 Russell I and I think from a you know being a fellow recruiter how much easier it would actually make my job I mean one, one of the reasons I loved partnering with Chantel was around that transparency in terms of when a position had been designed um and the process of deciding or or establishing what a fair reward package for that role would be Chantel would always explain it to me and walk it through she wouldn't just say go to market with 120. I would understand the broader context and I actually think from an internal perspective that's rare Um, I've worked in both agency and internal. Um, I've worked in organisations where the recruiters weren't able to even know, apart from a really wide rem band, how much that role would actually be paid. You needed to go back to a HR business partner to say this is candidates' expectations. So it, I, I keep saying it, it is a mixed bag out there. There are some organisations that are very behind and then you do have partnerships with um, reward teams and talent teams like the one that I had with Chantel where it's very transparent and it's all, a, again, a win-win and working together for a positive outcome. So
2: can I Can I ask a question? Yeah. It's, it like a really, I'm, I'm interested in other people's views on this. So say... So, so, You 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 know you're working in um you know working in HR with with the rem team or external consultants and and you're going right you know we know this transparency is coming we need to really work on what you know what people sit you know if people sitting on this banding of one ten to one thirty what that looks like you know how's it Mm. because we've got these people sitting on it at the moment does that mean that Does everyone get uplifted or so if you've got people sitting on there at the moment where people people might be getting overpaid is what I'm going to say so people could be getting overpaid sitting on this banding are you going to you know are we bringing their salary down or are we lifting everyone up to kind of balance that out or are we just leaving them where it is and kind of saying we're going to do it going forward we're going to kind of fit people in to this to this banding you know what 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 would you do in that sort of circumstance.
0: Oh, Chantelle, I think that's one for you. That's a very cool text one. (laughs) Yeah,
3: that's a a really good question, Russell, and it's helpful because it's going to bring me to, I think before we talk about um, what's blocking REM transparency, let's talk about what REM transparency really is. Yeah. Um, so we're really focused at the moment on job ads, and that's like a real pinch point for people mm. that's really highly visible. But that's not all that REM transparency is and REM secrecy is. So uh, uh, there's a few different models, and they're all sliding scales, right? And so at one end, you have the, as Russell said, you know, uh, on pain of death, keep job shut, nobody knows anything <laughs> version, <laughs> um, which is usually um so that's the outward side what that normally means behind closed doors and speaks to for me as a rem practitioner is the decision making process is not backed by any firm logic it's probably not backed by any firm data um pay conversations are not consistently held in its specific type of way, there's not tools that are being used, and there's, it's not systematised, it's very subjective, mm. um, and not systematised, then when you start getting into sort of minimal level pay transparency, it means you actually have some sort of logic or philosophy in place, which is kind of an overarching rule that's supposed to guide managers in making rem decisions and guide HR in making offers. Um, and employees have some sort of at least vague idea of how their REM is decided, i.e., well, if, you, if you're a higher performer, we're going to try and pay you more than people who don't perform as highly. Really, really as simple as that is the beginning of pay transparency. And uh, typically then that's where you start having your annual review cycles. And what we're getting is systems. And what we're doing is we're moving from the very subjective over to Slightly more objective, more systematized, more guardrails to prevent those um, accidental inequities coming in. Uh, Moderate pay transparency, which is all that we're really talking about here in this stuff that's going on in the US. Maybe in in Europe, it's a bit more exciting. We can talk about that in a second, but moderate pay transparency is actually having data-based compensation structures, maybe you've got a job evaluation structure, maybe you're uh, ranking everything to Hay or Mercer or one of the other uh, job sizing methodologies and employees know the range for their role. So they know, I am the head of this department and the range, the salary band for that is 150 to 200. Mm. And so that they can understand where they are in that range. And because people know and because it's systematized, that means that there is a logic behind decisions because there has to be. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Because people can ask those follow-up questions. Advanced transparency is very similar, but you don't just know the range for your role. You know the range. We publish the ranges for all of the roles. the organization Mm -hmm. so i can see my peers who might not be in hr they might be finance head of department but i can see like roles across the business getting paid like amounts and that's where you start to also introduce things like career pathing because as much as this comes up with challenges it also gives us huge opportunities because you're starting to create cohorts oh that job's about the same size in HR as that job in finance and that job over here in uh, in uh, sales. They're kind of a cohort of similar competencies. How can we train them together? How can we have mobility across the organization of talent? You know, it, it introduces lots of opportunities and then full transparency, which is what I think people start gripping the edge of the table white knuckled about <laughs> is, um, you know, you know, not just the range but you know actually pay points and there are organizations that have that approach yeah. i personally as a practitioner as a woman of color as a person who practices in the dni space have a personal pay transparency policy where anybody who is um uh i, I use sort of an axis of privilege anybody who is on my level or sort of or further away from power in the axis of privilege and power who asks me who's a peer in similar work to me who asked me what I get paid for a certain job or ask me for recommendation. I I practice full transparency with them because that's my way of um, practicing what I preach. But um that sort of so thinking about what transparency is is really important. And all of the changes going on in the world right now are just dragging us from zero to the middle. Right? It's we're not going bananas here. We're just going from no logic to some logic isn't that nice right Mm, and so russell that brings me to your question you're going to have a mixture of people at different places um and i love that you gave the example of your highest performer potentially being paid the least what that would say to me as a run practitioner is that you don't have a pay approach you don't have anything that documents this is how we want to pay people based on x y and z and so what I would say is that introducing pay transparency isn't just about what's in the job ads, it's about your logic for your decisions. And what did we always say um, in our role that we worked in together, Eden? I told you the background to my decisions because I, I practice the red face rule, which is if it's not defensible, don't do it. And Ooh. so if people are paid above band, they might be paid above them for a defensible reason. And pay transparency doesn't mean everyone gets the same. It means that you will be held accountable for the decisions that you've made. So people being below, if you're below because you've been a consistent poor performer for the last five years and you're on a pip, guess what, mate? You're not getting anything.
0: <laughs> but if
3: you're, if you're below for an indefensible reason, What I would say is instead of viewing that as a problem, view the person who comes to you with that data as somebody who's actually mitigated a risk for your organization. If they're your top talent, they've mitigated the huge risk and cost of that talent leaving your organization because they feel disengaged and can get much better paid and much more respect elsewhere. And the cost and the downtime and the negative impacts on your business that come with that but even more importantly I think mitigating the reputational risk of you actually being outed as an employer who whether you did it intentionally or not is discriminating against your employees and not paying people uh, you know paying someone 30% less your staff know who your top performers are they can see it every day with their eyes and when your practices. Do not back that stuff up. You really create an environment of poor trust. Trust is one of the absolute building blocks of engagement and high productivity. So just to be really quick on what I think the success factors and the blocks are, the first one is cultural So Mm. if you work in an organization with low transparency, I can already predict a few other things about your organization without even meeting you. I can tell you that that is a low trust organization. I can tell you that that organization probably has um, high turnover. I can tell you that that organization probably has low engagement. And I can tell you that that organization on the mirror side, on customer side, reflects all the same stats with their customers as they do with their employees and so if you're not passionate there is a huge business case here in improving your productivity and your culture and the massive benefits that will have for your bottom line as well so culture is a huge part of it culture then breeds investment if you don't believe in something you don't invest in it that means there's low capability that's why You don't know why you're making any decisions because you never thought HR were worth investing in. You thought they were just a cost line and so you've (laughs) never really got any decent HR people. Or worse, you've got great HR people and you don't listen to them. And they've been telling you this for years and you just shoo them off. So relationships between business and HR are going to really need to be strengthened if we're going to get into this leading edge practice and not just be scrambling to comply when the government tells us to hop into line so Mm -hmm. these are kind of things that might be a little bit sound more esoteric for a rem person you know my my sword and my shield is like a spreadsheet in a database (laughs) but these are the precursors that create the environment i can produce the best reporting for you but if we have a poor culture of a lack of trust and if we have poor relationships, so the business don't listen to HR, my wonderful work will be falling on deaf ears anyway. Um, And so, yeah, I would say that those are some real important precursors. Um, And I would also say that when we look at our staff who are on contracts, we probably want to take the opportunity to review everyone, including our award staff. Because well, we've got a
0: question been, about that coming up, actually, I've I noticed yeah. someone in the, in the chat has put that up, so we might yeah. get that in a moment. Sharon, sorry, absolutely
3: no. Interrupt. But just to just to close that point really quickly, because if you've been perpetually under investing in HR, not listening to HR, and not having a uh, really good rationale and probably not good HR systems or payroll systems, I mm. think you're probably when you look at it going to have problems in your award interpretations as well that's just a guess from 20 years of experience Um, and so look at look at it holistically take the opportunity to look at things holistically and muscle yes bring some people up never bring anyone down but maybe you red circle them and freeze them from further increases Mm. but definitely across the board have some difficult conversations important conversations Mm. 100%
0: what I really love that came out of this conversation of that one particular question particular one question particularly from Gemma Chantel and Russell there is you know rather than looking at what challenges this is going to bring what I loved is looking at the opportunities that it's going to bring Um, the positivity that this will bring for career pathways for engagement retention for culture. And of course, like we know all of those, that's going to then lift capability and productivity and the success of the organisation. So looking at what opportunity this can bring is a far more powerful conversation to be having with the business as a HR practitioner than it is to say, these are all the challenges we're going to face should this come up. So, you know, a lot of it is mindset, is actually looking at, hey, we are going to solve some wonderful problems we are going to present some wonderful opportunity by by exploring this even now by kicking this off and seeing how we can start to bring this to life i I think that's really wonderful um now we we had quite a few questions come through so i'm going to bring one up because i think this is a really timely question given what we faced in 2022 particularly in the tech sector where we had supply and demand right we didn't have enough engineering talent to meet the demand. So we saw an increase in contractors. um, And we also saw a a skyrocketing expectation in terms of RAM. Now, that's something that was, um, I guess, market driven supply and demand. I'm, I'm interested to know, In terms of transparency for contractors, so um, our Facebook user, I recruit contractors solely for what they call an asset light business. Is there more or less transparency for contractors? I'm coming across a few deals that are very different for the same role and contractors. So there isn't consistency across businesses. What do you think um, Gemma in terms of workforce, if every workforce is made up of permanent staff and, and temporary staff? How does this mean?
1: I like how, um, Chantelle, it was the first time I've heard heard, um, this phrase before, but I love how you put before, you know, you're not a minimum compliance person. Um, And I think when you think about pay transparency, it is important to think about um, how that applies to your total workforce. Now, that might mean that you prioritise your REM practices and philosophies and um, your maturity um, in a, in your permanent workforce, and then your casual, and then your contractors, or you consider the sequencing or phasing, or your your mechanisms might be different. But I think you will only be on catch-up if you do not consider a total workforce view. And it's mm. really natural sometimes for us in HR to consider the employee workforce only and to not think about contractors and to think, well, that, that will be sorted by someone else. But I do think that, um, you know, considering what that looks like is important. I don't have a direct answer for the question. The only thing that I um, I would say, and again, this is inspired by what Chantel said earlier, is around... Um, contractors have a little bit less of the to Russell's point oh crap I can't say anything sometimes we do have a bit more control in terms of our own agency in saying I'm paying paid this and looking at your privilege and power axis. I love that you know I think saying to other contractors hey I'm on $1,500 a day what do you want that's more likely to occur and so from my perspective with the people that I work with, at least, is that we share that information more freely than when you see people in an employee base. So I think just knowing the sort of attitudes of contractors and sharing that information, you know, it's probably going to happen. Um, And so sort of having a little bit of a philosophy. And I have seen... Quite strict um, sort of job families and bandings, even within contractor um, and contingent workforce models. So it does exist. It's just mm. how how much you're using it. I think um, depends from organisation to organisation.
0: Absolutely, Russell. I imagine in your sector there would be quite a um, high need for contingent workforce. Um, is is that something that you you face in terms of contractors? Do you do you recruit contractors? Do you see um, challenges when it comes to the transparency in terms of what their expectations are, what the company's willing to pay, or is it more all around budget? What does it look like from from a recruitment perspective?
2: No, look, I've not really been involved much in contractor recruitment. Um, being a contractor myself, yeah. <laughs> but um, not been involved too much in contractor recruitment. So I haven't really got much more to add that that's not that's being said. To be honest with you, I think no, no. The, the, the mentality thing makes sense. So because I remember when I was a contractor. Um, it's when I worked at ASOS actually, and there was um, a few other contractors. When we, we, we'd talk about that like, day rates and stuff like that, and it, it seems like a it, yeah, that contractor community is a lot more open. You talk about sort of day rates and this and that, and and yeah, so I, I definitely uh, do agree with that. The closest I've come to kind of the contractor um, side of recruitment is is um, a lot of a lot of it in IT and businesses I've, been, I've worked for. A lot of um, yeah. a lot of the IT staff might be contractors, um, which would often come out of a different budget. Um, then, oh, yeah, then, um, so you know, which give, which often gives people more, you know, more freedom as well when it's he, when coming out of this kind of you know, this different budget to, to salary. But, um, no, look, I, I can't really add any anything more.
0: No, I think, I think you absolutely do. I think that's that's a, a really key point to highlight because I know from my experience, um, both internal and, and agency that you know you've got your operational or opex budget you've got your capital expenditure capex budget and there seems to be this freedom within that capex budget for um leaders within an organization not to partner very closely necessarily with the HR team they may be able to just reach out directly to recruitment agencies um and spend the money that they've got to spend because that capital expense is something that isn't held necessarily by HR quite often do you do you have an opinion on that Chantelle is that something that you have seen in organizations do you think there's a, a a way to tackle that kind of inequity when it comes to contracting um What are your thoughts?
3: I think it's a really great question. And I think we need to come back to what pay transparency is. So pay transparency is not pay equality. It's having a rationale and a Mm -hmm. philosophy that is taking some of the subjectivity out of pay decisions and therefore reducing the likelihood of inadvertent discrimination. So there will always be differences in pay for all sorts of different reasons. And a completely valid reason for differences in pay could be to say that we have our fixed cost for our ongoing workforce, which is managed under this pay philosophy. And these are our rules, and this is how we differentiate based on performance, and da, 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 and these are our bands. And then we have um, project budget, which is for these uh, huge capital projects, a lot of the time technology projects, infrastructure um, projects and for those projects we use a contingent workforce and we apply the following to them and pay transparency is not about them being the same pay transparency is about somebody being able to come up to you and say why is that person doing similar work to me and getting paid 50 grand a year more and you being able to say without a red face because they are on a 12-month contract with no sick pay, no this, no that, no this, um, and they are attached to that project and their job disappears, when that project disappears, whereas you are in this position. That's what tra- transparency is not giving way. everyone the same. Transparency is having a, a good rationale for why they are different. So Absolutely. a lot of managers fear that transparency will take away your flexibility. And I actually like to say transparency won't take away your flexibility. It will give you logic for your decisions, mm. which is awesome. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. And that is, I will just say, when I, I spend a lot of time doing focus groups and interviews with people from a DEI perspective around what are the barriers in your organisation? If you had a magic wand and it was to be more inclusive overnight, what would it look like? People don't aren't seeking for um, necessarily the advanced model that that you described before. They're really seeking for thoughtfulness. Make it make sense to me. Spend the time to help me understand the logic in the rationale, where there are, uh, where there's objectivity, where there's subjectivity, make it make sense for me. And I think that is the red face and the make it make sense. I think if they're the takeaways from today. I think they're really important ones in terms of what managers really want and that it's not to be feared from. It's to how do we support you with the logic to have really important conversations with your people. Um, That's one of the things that people want um, more than anything.
0: 100%.
1: Absolutely. And just
3: to add really quickly to just really support what Gemma said, which I think is so important. When you're dealing with contractors, contractors, a lot of your contractors will end up staying. And if you don't have pay transparency, i.e. the more holistic pay transparency of having a compensation structure and a philosophy and policies in place, when you bring that person on board, then when you have to put them on a normal employee contract, everyone is gonna be in a kerfuffle because number one, if you're the recruiter or the business partner, You have not briefed your manager at the start when they took that contractor on of the only reason this person is allowed to be paid 50 grand more for that job is because Mm -hmm. of this, this and this. And this is what that job would be in our normal framework. So the manager is just going to come back to you and say, this person's awesome. I want her to stay. And you're going to now have to start talking them off a cliff about (laughs) something because you haven't talked about a philosophy and a rationale on the way in. So Mm -hmm. philosophy and a rationale on the way in just makes things so much easier in every respect, practically, because at the end, everybody knows where they stand. That employee knows that you're getting paid above the odds to our permanent employees in that role. So if you ever want to become permanent, don't anticipate you're keeping that salary. The manager knows the same thing and the other employees because it always comes out, it always comes out. Especially if they become mates, the other employees don't feel disgruntled because there is a rationale behind it.
0: Awesome agreed i've i've realized that we've already gone um seven minutes over so it's just um, i think that, that was a really great um way to summarize from gem and chantelle so russell um final thoughts from you um tell me you know what if you know from a recruitment perspective yeah what what are the two key takeaways that you're hoping the audience um have have you know t- taken away um today <laughs>
2: um I I think what I've learned personally is uh, um, it's probably not as drastic as I thought. I think it's just a a logical step. I think, um, and look, you know, I mean, I'm not, you know, by no means am I smart. I'm very, I'm very average in terms of, um, you know, kind of, uh, so, you know, I'm assuming there's probably other people that have been thinking the same, the the same as me in terms of. you know, oh, crap, what, what, what is this going to look like? How, how are we going to manage this? So it, it makes a lot more sense. I think, um, you know, I like the term, uh, you know, accountability. You know, it's taking accountability for these decisions, um, you know, making you accountable for, 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 for them. And you know, can, can, can can you answer any questions about a red face? You know, that's a, that's a, that's a perfect term as well. So, um, yeah, look, it all it makes sense. And I think it's a step in the direction of it's, oh, Sorry, a step in the right direction, I should say. And I think... Um, just from a very simplistic point of view, just putting a salary on a job advert is just going to, um, you know, help so many people stop all this frustration. Job seekers, you know, get it in the teeth enough as it is with recruitment processes and, you know, not hearing back from recruiters. And you see every day on another channel, so all, all the frustrations they have. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's a big step um, in the right direction for, for them especially as well. So uh, yeah, they're probably yeah. the
0: main things for for me amazing i i think i, I agree with uh, i i think the main takeaway from me today is mindset and to be looking at what the opportunities this will bring um and and to no longer fear what this might cause to actually look at the opportunity that will bring and i think there are so many benefits if you were to step back and think about yourself your role the organization you work in your people the opportunity that this will bring to your people is, is a big takeaway from me. The other big takeaway from me is that, you know, I um, I have incredibly sensitive skin and I have a red face 24-7. Um, please don't think that I'm having a red face <laughs> for the wrong reason. I'm going to need to start the conversations that way when this comes up. No. Um, so, look, I want to thank um, Gemma, Chantelle, and Russell. I think this was just such a great conversation. I think we could have probably half a dozen more of these and still continue and still have a very engaged and and fascinated audience because it is such a incredibly, I I started this today to say complex, but I think it's an incredible opportunity for advancement um, and for us to really lift and change the cultures of the organisation we work in and for for so many different reasons that we've covered off today. So thank you to the three of you for joining us today. Um, i will pop the details in the chat box on all channels so you can reach out to Gemma, chantelle or russell for anything at all um please continue the conversation in the comments and look forward to seeing you all again soon thank you so much
1: thank you eden thanks chantelle and russell it's been a pleasure
0: absolute pleasure